All right, Ron, we are back again and better than ever. And uh, today we are joined by one of your past uh, mentors. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing him when his first original book came out. I was totally excited to get him on the show. Um, and it takes me back all the way to Starbucks. Yeah, so, you know, I didn't know too much about the other Howard uh, with Starbucks, right? right. Um, he's, a, he's an accomplished author and, and uh, truly a leader of leaders. Uh, but, you know, I, I was super excited. After we finished our interview, I went and bought the book, The Magic Cup. They're both phenomenal books, man. So uh, I, I was, again, I was just honored that he wanted to be on the show. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it. Have you ever wondered how highly successful entrepreneurs think? So did we. So we asked hundreds of entrepreneurs a very simple question. If they had perfect hindsight, what advice would they give themselves? I am Corey Carter. And I'm Ron Cool. Join us on our journey, implementing and sharing all of our learnings while we hack our hindsight along with our guest hindsight to give us all better foresight. Listen along the way as we find and unlock their secrets that made them successful through hidden traffic, joint ventures, and much, much more. This is Hindsight Hack. Today, uh, we are actually very blessed. Uh, we get the one and only Howard Bihar. Uh, he is basically the founder of Servant Leadership, uh, or at least uh, with Starbucks for 21 years uh, in many roles, ending with uh, being the president. Um, more importantly, uh, more, more recently, he is the author of It's Not About the Coffee and the Magic Cup. Uh, and, and Howard, I, I know you, you don't want to promote yourself, but we're going to promote you um, <laughs> and hopefully let our audience know, get to know you a little bit through our, our conversation that we have. So thanks so much, Howard, for joining us. And uh, uh, can't wait to, to hear more about you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Howard, uh, one, I, am, I was so excited to have you on the show. I think I've told so many people that you were coming just because of my past experience with Starbucks. And, you know, I was able to be around when your first book launched. But for the people that don't know you, can you give a little backstory about who you are and kind of what you're doing? Well, you know, you're looking at a guy. I'm the son of two immigrants. Both of my parents came to the United States in the early 1900s. My father is a 15-year-old boy that left his family in Bulgaria and never saw them again. And he worked at a place called the Pike Place Market. And night started in 1911, and just about when the market opened, and pushed a cart and saved up his pennies, nickels, and dimes, and learned to speak the language. Opened up a mom and pop grocery store. We came uh, from the late 1800s to the kind of the. She came in 1917. She was the last one to come with her parents, and her her family all was pretty much in consumer stuff, small business, all small business. So I grew up around small business and primarily retail. And I, you know, I learned valuable lessons from that along the way. One time my father had, uh, when I was about nine years old, my father said to me, I was in the grocery store and I was after school. He said, Howard, go give me a couple of baskets of strawberries. And so I went and got the strawberries and 
and I brought them up to the counter and a customer was there and my dad took this baskets of strawberries and put them in the bag and customers thank you and walked out. I was old enough to recognize that my dad hadn't rung those strawberries up on the cash register. Those are the times when you had a button that you pushed, you know, the numbers were buttons and his cash store didn't, he had to pull it open, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I said, dad, you forgot to charge the customers for those strawberries. And he just looked at me and said, son, he said, not everything we do in life do we need to get paid for. Sometimes we do things just to help other people. And I happen to know these are these people uh, who are our neighbors and our friends and our customers love strawberries, but they can't afford them right now. So it's just my way of helping them out. I didn't recognize that how valuable that lesson was. That kind of informed my life. Yeah. And uh, so I grew up in that kind of business and I, I, I barely got out of high school, you know, I, I had two years of community college and my best subject was beer. And by the time I got out of there, I graduated <laughs> to single malt scotches. Uh, not proud of all that, but that's right. I survived. So right. I went to work in a family's furniture business. My brother and brother-in-law both had furniture stores and my dad had retired by that time. And so I, I kind of spent 25 years in the home furnishings industry and, and became, then I left and became president of a, land development company that was still consumer driven. It was kind of like a timeshare for RV owners only. It was membership based. Okay. And then, you know, uh, I, the company got in trouble. I was president of it and we had to sell it. And, um, you know, I ended up trying to, I didn't have a job and I had to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I started to get interested in the specialty food industry for some reason. I don't know why. And I looked at all sorts of things from ice cream to a company, a tea company called Market Spice Tea, which I almost bought. And at the same time, I met this young guy named Howard Schultz. And at the time, the first time I met him, I think the Starbucks had about 15 stores. And he interviewed me and he was looking for a VP of operations. So, you know, we were interviewed and he had all these criteria. The first one being that he wanted some, I had to have a college degree. Second thing is that I had to have food service experience. And the last thing, the only thing I qualified for, can you breathe? And yeah, I could breathe. I could breathe. So we parted ways because I really wanted my own business. And about a year later, I found a business to buy and I needed some money. And the only person I knew that had any money was my brother-in-law. So I went to him and said, can I borrow some money to buy this business? And so he said, sure, but it was a franchise business. And he said, but I know somebody in the franchise business. Let's go talk to them first. It happened to be a guy named Jack Rogers. And Jack was kind of one of the earliest investors in Starbucks. And he was kind of helping Howard out. And we went to talk to Jack. And I no sooner sat down and started to pitch my heart out about why I should buy this business and why I was qualified to do it and why my brother-in-law should loan me money. And Jack said, what do you want to do that for? We need a guy like you right here at Starbucks. Oh, no. <laughs> and it totally deflated my deal. My brother-in-law, you could have heard a sigh of relief all the way down to California from Seattle. <laughs> they wouldn't have to loan me any money. So I said, well, I've already been through this journey. You know, and, you know, I didn't fit. He said, nah, we haven't hired anybody yet for that job. We could really use a guy like you. I want you to talk to a couple other people. So I did. And I said, and finally, we kind of got down to it. And I met with Howard again. And I said, Howard, before you decide to hire me or before I decide to accept, I'd like to work in the company for a week for free. I want to be in the plant. Uh, I want to be in the, in the trucks delivering coffee and I want to be in the stores. And so I did for a week. And by the end of that week, I said, boy, this is a place for me. And Howard fortunately agreed that 
that I could contribute instead, you know, I turned right instead of turning left. It's how things go sometimes. I was trying to escape corporate life, you know? Yeah. And I, it didn't take long before I was right back in it. Yeah. And who I have no, I never dreamed it would ever become like this ever. It's funny when, uh, when you have directions and, and things that you want to go to, to do, right. And you have big, big plans and big ideas, but something greater than us, it forces you or pushes you back. Right. It pushes you. And it's almost serendipitous that you, you know, took, took that time away of not taking the job to, to the point when you actually, um, it ended up in such a unique position, but how, how amazing is it that you actually took a week to work and get to know the operations? Like you don't hear of that. You, that, that is not something people do. You're like it's hard getting people to go work for two hours for free to, <laughs> yeah. to as part of the interview process. So it's like, a, it's a problem. It's a, we have lost sight of how things really work in life, but that came from my youth. It came from watching my uncles and my aunts and my father run these small mom and pop businesses. Yeah. Right. And there, you know, we, everybody talks about balance in their life, you know, like work life balance. I, I think it's work life integration because that's what was modeled for me. Mm -hmm. My dad, there was no separation between his work and his family, so to speak, you know, He'd get up four o'clock in the morning to go get produce and bring it back to the store. And he came, came home at six o'clock at night, ate his dinner as fast as any human being I've ever seen, sat down on the sofa and went to sleep, you yeah. know? And uh, so, you know, there was not, I just learned it. And that's what I think it really is what it takes. You know, if you set limits and have all these rules about what you will do and what you won't do, you're going to miss an awful lot in life. Oh, absolutely. And, and you said a couple of things. I mean, my, I'm second generation in this country. So my, my grandparents went through Ellis Island and, you know, they uh, came from Greece and went to Chicago and yeah. started a candy store. Right. And then they had a restaurant. So they, they, my grandfather came here at 15 years old yeah, and worked to bring the rest of his family over. Yeah. Well, that's how it was. Yeah. Right. That's what they did. They didn't, they, you know, they did everything they could to help their families. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's what I remember, you know, most about Starbucks. It, it was a family environment, you know? Yeah, it was, it's work and, and you got to do this, but everybody cared yeah. to help each other. Right. Yeah. Can So can you talk to us like about the servant leadership? Um, yeah. You know, I know that's, that's such a big deal. And, and from, from Ron's time at Starbucks and, and all that, but and it means some some people never actually grasp what it means to be a servant leader. Uh, so, can you share like what does it mean to you, and and how did you get that message across? So when I was um, uh, I left my family's businesses and I went to work for a company called Grand Tree Furniture Rental, which was they had stores in Denver and all over the West and to the East, and I had a I had a boss who was really became my most important mentor in life, a guy named Jim Jensen. And this was in the mid, early to mid seventies. And he handed me this little pamphlet called the leader as servant. And it was written by a man named Robert Greenleaf. And Robert Greenleaf was, he was the person who coined the term servant leadership. He had been the head of organizational development at AT&T in the forties and fifties. And when he retired, you know, he'd kept all his papers and all this stuff. And, and um, he, 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 
he asked himself a question. What were the traits that made some people great leaders and others not? And so he looked back at all the people that he coached and helped and the people that, that, that you know, did well in the company, the people that didn't. And he came to the conclusion that it was the leaders that somehow intrinsically knew, them because there was, no, there was no concept of servant leadership at that point in time. Those, you know, uh, there's maybe just how people acted. But it was the leaders that somehow intrinsically understood that their role was to help their people first not for the people to help the company first. And, and it got interpreted as being servants to their people. So the goal was to help their people accomplish what they wanted in life. And in so doing, those people would help the organization accomplish what it wanted to accomplish. And that's, you know, that's the basic premise of servant leadership. It's, you know, we're not, people are not here to serve us. We're here to serve them. And in so doing, we get served. You know, it's just that way, you know, it, it's the way it is in life. And I mean, it doesn't mean that there aren't other things at work. There's plenty of autocratic leaders that have run successful business and become rich and famous. You know, we know one right now in the White House. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Right. You know, because servant leadership doesn't guarantee you money or success. What it does is guarantee a fulfilling life. True. You know, and it's a way of living. It is not a business. It's not a business idea or it's, it's an organizational idea, but in the organization of one, you to the organization of two, you get a significant other in your life to the organization of three or four. When you have children, you know, to the organization of, of 10 or 20, when you have a smaller company or a nonprofit to the organization of hundreds of thousands that we had at Starbucks. Yeah, that premise holds true no matter what. No, I think I think you hit it right on the, the head there. I mean, when I started with Starbucks, um, you know, I came from restaurants. I owned a couple of restaurants, and I didn't understand the whole servant leader piece. It was about, hey, this is business. We're going to make money. Business is always going to make decisions to make sure the business makes money, and that was right around the whole. Ethiopian Sadamo, right? When the company took it away because the people weren't being treated fairly yeah. in a country, even though that was a hugely popular coffee. It's still my favorite coffee. It, yes, it's it's Arar and Sodamo are still my favorite coffee. Yeah, and and I was that that kind of shook me. I was like, okay, so time out. The company made a decision that probably hurt sales because another country's people weren't being treated right. And I was like, oh right. my gosh, like they're living their values. Yeah. Right. So that was the first thing that kind of, you know, shook me out of normal, normal business, if you will. And then the second one, and I think we talked about it before the show started was when uh, Howard had all the managers and corporate staff go to, you know, help the victims of Katrina. Yeah. You know, that, that changed my life from that day forward. I was a different person. Yeah. I was just a complete, and from how people responded, how the business responded, how the leaders responded, um, how everyone was there to just help somebody else um, to do the right thing. You know, I, I guess I'm, I'm a right fighter. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Yep. It is important. You it's know. what really makes the world tick. Yes. You know, it, does being an autocratic uh, 
significant other work in life, right? If you're autocratic inside of a relationship or with your kids, does it really work? No, it doesn't. Right. You know, you're headed for a problem and headed for a disaster. But being a servant to your to your spouse, to your significant other, to your kids, that works. Absolutely. That doesn't mean there aren't expectations. I'm not servant leadership isn't this gentle, kind, you know, soft stuff. It's about performance. Yes. So another thing that you had, you had said was it's not always that, that your father had shared with you or shared with you on the strawberry story. It, like you don't always have to get paid for what you do. Um, right. And, and so often, like I, I'm sure you found this through your, your career and your life is when, when you're serving and, and providing value to everyone, it, like what you need to get paid comes back to you without you even trying. Is that right? Yeah, of- absolutely. You know, if you give more than if you give more than you get, you never be. You'll always do well. And how how do you teach that? How do you? I, I know you you speak or you've been speaking after your days at Starbucks, but yeah. like, how do you get people to understand? Like, if they're just out to give, then what they need will come back to them. Yeah, it's you know you have to you know you talk about it, but you have to model it. You know, people don't care what you say; they care what you do. You know, it's like uh, people don't care how much you know, they want to know how much you care. And that's pretty much it. You know, there it is right there. And uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes is a two word quote, compassionate emptiness, compassionate emptiness means being full of compassion for the other person, but empty of solutions, empty of thoughts, you know, letting the other person say what they're thinking, not what you're thinking, not you say what you're thinking. Yeah, so often we are always in conversations going, missing what the person is saying. Yeah, right. We're thinking about what we want to say back. Right, right. (laughs) Our wife comes home and she's had a hard day of work and she just wants somebody to talk with. She doesn't want you to to try to give her solutions, right? It took me a long time to learn that lesson. Oh, that one's painful. Yeah, it's real painful. Your kids are the kids are the same way. It's, It's being compassionate, but just empty, just listening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a problem solver. So I usually, Oh man, that's a typical male thing. Yeah. I tell my wife, I go, is this a, is this a problem I need to solve or do I just need to listen? (laughs) Cause I've learned that I would go into problem solving mode, which actually I think bothered her more than just, yeah, absolutely. I don't need your help. I just need you to let me talk. Yeah. Right. All right. All right, Howard. Um, so one question that I, love to ask everyone that that joins us on our show uh it's in in true form to our name of the show and and it's about hindsight right like we all got if if hindsight's 2020 right we can we would have perfect vision and um, so if you actually had the power of hindsight and you could go back into your life and give yourself a little bit of advice uh what advice would you have given and and when would you have gone back to give it i would have been earlier about working on myself, of figuring out what my values were, what my mission in life was, what my goals were. I'd have been a lot more, I would have been a lot more focused on on what the journey was going to be for me. And it took me really until my mid to late 20s before I really kind of locked in. And it was all part of the servant leadership, conscious, we didn't call it conscious capitalism then, but, you know, conscientious leadership kind of thing. And uh, I just didn't, hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about myself. I was just Howie being Howie, you know, just 
marching along, doing my deal, you know. And finally, this guy, Jim Jensen, that I told you about, you know, he pushed, pushed not only me, but other people on the team, but I really absorbed it about figuring out who I was, what my values were, what really mattered to me, and how those values informed my actions and my decisions in life. And then being focused on what I really wanted. What did I really want to do? It took me a long time to believe in myself, you know, to love myself unconditionally. And, uh, you know, so I would have done that work a lot sooner. You know, I, I don't think there's, it, I don't think it's ever early enough. I think somebody that's in, you know, somebody that is in grade school and can read can start that journey if a parent is willing to help them. Yeah. They can understand, you know, it's slow and easy and it's not, you know, do this, do that, do this. It's introducing them to this, these ideas, you know, that old saying, as you think, so, so you are, right? Yeah. So often, I mean, you think about that, it's kids not being able to do that self-development and self oh. because the parents are. Yeah. And parents don't do it. I, you know, I, I used to tell people, right, go home and write your values down. Just write three down. I have eight of them, write three down and define what they are to you. Write a mission statement for yourself. What is it that you want to leave behind? What do you want to do in this life? That's bigger than you. And you know, what I've learned is only about 2% of the people will do it. And yet it's the one thing I would, I tell everybody, I'll give you a written guarantee that this will create a fulfilling life for you if you do this work. And, uh, but very few people want to do it. They don't want to do the work. Right. Right. So that's what I would go back and do. That's awesome. All right. So you, you do have a couple books out. Yeah. Uh, Your most recent is the magic cup. Yep. And then the one prior to that, and I think we were talking about this also before the show, is it's not about the coffee. Correct. And that's the one that I actually remember when you first came out with it and you were talking about it on stage. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about both and which one you feel would be most relevant to them? Well, if you're interested in learning to lead yourself or you're leading in organizations or you're just in a family right, situation, I think it's not about the coffee is the most informative because it's a book of stories of, of, I kept, for some reason, I kept notes. I had, I had files this big, huge, like three feet of file. And it, most of them were just little scraps of paper with an idea, a sentence or something on it. Sometimes it was more than that, an article or something like that. And I started doing that when I was in my twenties. So when, when I was in my late fifties and we decided to do this book, uh, those notes became all the ideas for the book. And I sorted them all out and it came up with a bunch of chapters, you know, individual ideas and they'd pile up and that was a chapter. And the next idea pile and that was a chapter. And so it's really about life and lots of stories about life and how you can do things and about what I believe in. Yeah. It's a lot about the idea of servant leadership and how we do that. And it's not a, it's not a how to book, so to speak. It's not, it's not here's the chart, fill this chart out and everything be right in your life. But but the ideas are all there and people have to do the work, have to dig a little bit. No, that's the second awesome. book, it's it's the magic cup. That was a book born out of anger. Oh. It was um when I um when I left Starbucks, I was mad because that was when we went through all the layoffs. Mm-hmm. And I thought we didn't have to do that. And so it became a cost celeb for me, and I resigned from the board. And 
you know, and I went through about two years of waking up angry, going to bed angry. And finally I said, you know, I got to get, I got to get, this has got to go away. So I decided to write a book about it. Well, as I started to write, the anger dissipated. And the book is a parable, basically, or a story about, uh, it's kind of where Harry Potter meets business, but about uh, a leader and what that leader goes through to write, write a company, an organization, and how he depended on his people to get it done. And it's, it's a fun little story. I, I, I liked it. It didn't sell nearly as well as he is. The, uh, it's not about the coffee, but that's all right. I like doing it. Yeah, what I learned about Starbucks is it was truly, uh, they weren't in the coffee business, they were in the people business. And, yeah. and stories were important and, and telling the journey of just your individual story. Yeah. Um, you know, as I kind of promoted up through the ranks, it was really important for people to understand your story and the impact you had. So yeah, I used to say we're not in the we're not in the coffee business serving people. We're in the people business serving coffee. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. So anybody can take that and we're in the people business serving X, Whatever. right? Yeah. Whatever that. Everybody's in the people business. Everybody, the primary job of every human being is to serve others. I don't care whether you're a doctor, a widget maker, a lawyer, a fire chief, an architect, whether you're a barista, it doesn't make any difference or whether you're running a podcast. Your job is to serve others, isn't it? I yep. mean, that's what you guys are doing. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, and that's what our job is in life. And if we do that well, then our, we'll have a fulfilling life. Yeah. Awesome. So when's the next book? Oh, God, please. I'm seven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I've thought about it. And, you know, sometimes you, I had a couple things that I wanted to say. I'm not by nature an author. You know, I'm not a writer. I had to have lots of help. And so, you know, I, I, I've kind of said what I have to say, and I'm a pretty focused guy on this. I, I just drive it home. I stay with it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, my, my biggest skill is picking up cigarette butts, you know, and or cleaning condiment stands, you know. Right. So yeah. I, I, like to, I like to be with people and talk with people about all of this, and, and that's what I do. Maybe there's one. I don't know. I better get on it pretty quick at my age. Oh, my gosh. No, you're doing great. And, and I am just, I'm honored, and, and I thank you so much for being on our show. Um, we'll put in the show notes kind of where our listeners can can follow your journey um, at your website and kind of see where you're speaking. Yeah, at. you can give them my email address if they have a question. It's okay. hb at howardbihar.com, and I'll answer everybody. That is a true statement. That okay. Is- Okay. Howard, it's definitely been a pleasure speaking with you. And, and, uh, I mean, if, if any, anyone can lead with half as much thought as it seems that you've led with regarding serving people, then this whole world would be a better place. So, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely an honor to, to get to know you a little bit here. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Time to go get my manicure. (laughs) (laughs) that's what you do when you're 75 you go get manicures and you you take your dogs to the dog park there you go perfect all All right right. take care have a blessed okay bye-bye oh man ron uh you know howard he is just someone that the moment you start talking with him you want to start following yeah i mean it just felt like we were in his living room just having a just 
just a natural conversation with him. It was awesome. Yeah, well, I know I truly felt his passion for leadership, for for just everything that he's done in his life, and uh, just the story that led him to doing what he did. But I can't wait to hear your takeaways. Yeah, he is truly the uh, the godfather of servant leadership. You know, I, I anytime I think of Starbucks and servant leadership, um, it boils back to him, and you know how he implemented all of these pieces and and just how he led and how he inspired other people to lead absolutely all right Uh, i hope everyone gets as much out of this interview as i know i did Uh, but definitely go check us out on facebook.com check out our hindsight hacking group we definitely would love to have you and uh, feel free to check us out on itunes subscribe leave a review and let us know how it goes. Absolutely, guys, and thank you for being the best part of the Hindsight Hackers community.